What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Fast Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, David Campbell. David, what's up? How are you? I'm good, thanks. And we're also joined by our very good friend, the one and only Nathan Finocchio. Nathan, thanks for coming on Fast, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you. You just released uh, a brand new book called Killer Church, um, which kind of caught me by surprise, which I guess is kind of how book releases go. Like, I don't know. It just appeared on your Instagram story one day. And so I, I downloaded it and started to read it. I'm almost done with it. Um, so it's a good, quick read. I love it. It's, uh, it's very easy to read and very accessible, um, but at the same time, very insightful. So I want to talk to you about it because um, obviously it's, this, it's the, the amalgamation of all the stuff that's on the top of your mind. Um, Why did you write it? Like, what was the inspiration behind the book? Yeah, so it, se- it seems like it came together in your head over the course of like a decade. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So there's been some, some kind of theme that I've been thinking about the last, you know, yeah, probably over the course of about a decade. And some of these things I've preached um, and some of them I haven't preached, some of them I've taught. Um, but basically I just sort of wanted to, I wanted to kind of put a bow on where my head has been with respect to church. Um, yeah. The last, last 10 years, um, you know, my, my experience with, uh, with, with Hillsong, New York city, uh, namely, um, and, and navigating, navigating that, um, and then just the last several years of, of traveling and um, seeing the church, uh, you know, globally, uh, the, the church visible, as it were, and, and um, ministering in various contexts. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a church guy, you know, and, um, and I, I'm about as local church as it gets. Um, and I believe in the local church, but, um, and, and my, my tradition is the charismatic tradition, um, maybe charismatic evangelical. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm thinking, you know, from a 40,000 foot level, you know, what are some of our challenges generationally, culturally? Um, and then within the Protestant tradition, what are some of our challenges? Um, so that's, I just wanted to kind of like, all right, these are, these are, these are the big things that I see right now. People, mm-hmm. I, I get the question all the time. And I'm sure you do too, Jake, David, probably as well. It's like, you know, what's the number one problem with the church right now in America? It's like, um, yeah, it's a, that's a great question to ask. Um, um, I think I'm, I'm trying to think larger than the church in America. I'm probably thinking the church in the West. Um, and I'm thinking more specifically in the charismatic evangelical tradition. So that's sort of a, it's sort of a critique of, of what we're doing, um, and what, what I think we need to do. Mm -hmm. Obviously you talk about a number of different issues in the book. Do you have kind of a pithy way of boiling it all down into a thing? Yeah, I think that, so I believe that the church is the, that it can either be a life-giving or a death-dealing experience. And I believe that life and death literally 
I think that our churches are making people sick. And the reason why I say that is because, and I say our, uh, because I think that in the charismatic evangelical tradition, we have embraced a certain amount of consumerism, number one, and number two, um, an extreme uh, view of the love of God. Hmm. And, um, and so we need to recover of the fear of God and we need to, uh, and we need to recover the primary purpose of the church, which is to number one, worship God, number two, to equip the saints. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not the primary, you know, role of the church is not to be a seeker sensitive social club where we tell anybody to come in and you can believe whatever you want, uh, you know, belong before you believe that sort of nonsense, which we don't even believe. Like everybody who says that just categorically doesn't believe that um, because <laughs> it always comes to a head um, and it really, it just, it's false advertising anyway. So that's, that's sort of my take. Mm-hmm. It's my yeah. thesis. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about, um, on the note of consumerism, you say in your book, the Protestant church needs to repent of consumerism and quickly adjust anything in its programming that promotes consumerism. Its congregants need to be taught about the great responsibility they have toward their churches, bringing glory so that the God of glory shows up. Mm-hmm. So I, to me, it seems like the way I would, cate- I would characterize your thesis is rather than viewing church as a, uh, as a self-serving endeavor or a self-serving social club, uh, it needs to be seen for what it uh, truly is, which is uh, a God-oriented um, uh, endeavor, a, a God-oriented, like God-facing um, experience and exercise. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, so so the the way so my my experience um, has been that you know the, the seeker movement has. It, it tried to help look. So, so, so Paul, Paul Scanlon wrote a book a number of years ago called crossing over. I don't know if you've ever read it before. Um, and long story short, he tells a story about this very charismatic church that he inherited in Bradford, UK. Mm-hmm. And church was about 200 people. And he had this vision to, well, basically to grow his church. He's sort of a a type, you know, and, um, and, and I don't think that growth is a problem. Um, in retrospect, I wonder if his motives were totally pure. I don't think any motives or any of our motives are totally pure, but, um, long story short, he wanted to grow his church and fill it with people who weren't saved. Okay, cool. Um, so he began to like, essentially, tried to sanitize his charismatic church um, and, you know, get rid of the cringe factor, essentially. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is his church starts to get full of people. Um, and, um, you know, people used to leave their purses underneath the, um, under their seats. And he's like, nobody leaves their purse under the seats anymore. Like, he's like, and that's like the sign of a good church. And so I guess like part of me was like, yeah, it's actually, you know, you do want, you do want people who aren't saved, you know, to come and hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. 
Um, but the gospel can't be the casualty either. <laughs> they have to hear the gospel. Um, and so for me, I think that that's what's happened. <laughs> what's happened is whether we're aware of it or not, the seeker movement has deeply penetrated evangelicalism. Um, and particularly my tradition, the charismatic tradition, where, uh, you know, guys who were once, you know, fiery Pentecostals and their dad preached, uh, you know, I, I, I can think of like so many off the top of my head who are these young church leaders and their dads, you know, they preached the gospel. Their dads preached repentance. Their dads preached sin. Their dads preached, you know, righteousness. Their dads preached the scriptures unapologetically. Um, their dads didn't preach leadership. Their dads didn't mm -hmm. preach, uh, you know, relationship advice. Um, their dads preached, you know, Holy Spirit, character, maturity, you know, vision as a church. Their dads were being into the prophetic and impartation and all that good stuff. And, and evangelism was definitely, but their dads built great churches. And I've seen a lot of these guys just, they've been so influenced by the seeker idea. And, you know, we need to get all the, the church needs a PR job. The church is, is, you know, the church, you know, we're not uncool. We're cool. I'm cool. See, I'm cool. And, and there's this whole cool church thing that's happened uh, where I, and I believe like, you know, it, it definitely, I think Bill Hybels is definitely the kind of the brainchild uh, or the, the cedar of, of this idea where we can make church cool and there can be like a YouTube vibe and it's going to YouTube vibe and it's going to be rad and people will all come out. And if you just make church cool, then people will come and then you preach the gospel. And they're all going to get saved. Um, but what ends up happening is the gospel doesn't get preached. You get Jesus light. People don't people, people accept your version of Jesus, but they don't accept the biblical picture of Jesus. They don't accept his words they don't see him as Lord. And then you wind up with a church full of tares. Um, people who are, I call them uh, 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 Christian Buddhists, that they're, they're on this spiritual journey. And yes, they put their hand up at an altar call because the Jesus that you told them about sounded really sweet. The Jesus that you told them about is like a Ken doll, you know, and, and you get to bring Kendall home and you can, you have all these outfits that you put on him and you know, Oh, here's, here's Hollywood Jesus. And here's Malibu Jesus, you know, and, and Jesus is just this, this except this person who you accessorize. Um, and, and all the accessorizing is, is your idea. And he's dressed up in all these different cultural outfits um, and he fits in any, in any circumstance and Jesus, and he's all, Jesus was always mean to the religious. And by religious, we mean white evangelicalism and the patriarchy, um, you know, and he was just, and, and he just, and he just, he hated the police and we need to burn the system to the ground. And this is the system, man. And, and, you know, they always use system. It's like, a, it's a buzzword that they use, you know, any, they jam system into the gospels all the time. It was a system, man. Jesus was totally against the system. And, um, and so you have this, this, this liberation Jesus, Kendall, um, who never talks about anything that Jesus ever talked about. Um, at, at quite, 
ever. And so all Jesus ever talks about is liberating women and cleansing the temple. Um, and John 3.16. One of the things that you put it down to, one of the things that you put uh, the manifestation of the Christian Buddhist down to is a crisis of authority um, in your book. Talk, talk about that. And maybe, David, you want to chime in on this as well. Since oh, you, yes. David's, you've David's probably watched this, this happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he had a front row ticket to a, <laughs> at my dad's church <laughs> for soul. <laughs> I don't know, David, what do you, how do you, how do you, it was worth the mission. Am I off? Uh, well, you're my boss at Theosu, so I can't very well. <laughs> but not, not, um, no, I don't throw off. I mean, I think there's for years there's been a a, a co I think there's always a tendency. The default position in church is a codependency relationship between leadership and mm. people, uh, and the nature of the codependency changes. Uh, you know, depending on the sort of social, cultural circumstances. But with the seeker sensitive, I think that it suited pastors. I mean, their goal was to have as many bums on pews as possible. Uh, and that suited people because uh, pastors didn't stop challenging. So it, it was easy. It didn't cost anything to be uh, a member of a church. And the pastor gets a nice full uh, auditorium, and even though nobody's tithing because they don't teach that anymore, if you've got enough people that are giving 1%, you can still make up your income. And, you know, so, I, I mean, I think, and, and of course, the consequence of that is corporatism. The churches go corporate, and they're not communities anymore. Uh, they're, I can't remember who it was. Uh, uh, described it as, um, I, uh, I think it was uh, William Beckham, described it as uh, an or organism, organization versus organism. Um, then some pastors switch over to pitching, you know, this sort of false picture of Jesus. Uh, I think that's a really dumb move because if you look at the numbers uh, of any church or denomination that has taken mm -hmm. that route it's uh it's a suicide ticket you know it's your church is going to be dead within a few years just like all the other denominations are that have gone down that road so i think i think this i i think you're right the solution is you know we we don't want to go back in the sense of being sentimental to go back to a generation or two before whatever in the sentimental sense but we do want to go back to what is the grid that the New Testament sets out for us. Uh, and honestly, I think that, uh, you know, the church you referred to in Bradford in its original Genesis, I, I knew that church a little bit. And uh, it was born in the visitation of the Holy Spirit, where there certainly were demands made on people in terms of, you know, the kind of things that we would want um, you know, holiness, godliness, and so on. And I think somewhere in it, if if you're caught up in a movement of the Holy Spirit and you're leading your people the right way, the numbers will come. 
But the problem is that if you don't have the Holy Spirit uh, in moving in power, then you've got to find human manipulative means for filling your auditorium with people. And that's where things go wrong. Yeah, it's a very real tension, right, that I kind of am living out in real time. So I pastor a church in Los Angeles and um, have an appetite for saying true things. Uh, and at the same time, I have an same time I have an appetite for uh, growing a church and reaching the city. Um, and I think to your point, Nathan, about motive, I, I regularly have to reflect upon my motives as to why I, I want the things that I want. Um, you know, is it for, uh, some sense of accomplishment that people would look on and, and applaud, or is it because I genuinely want to reach people? And so I'm constantly managing that. Um, and I find the true test of that is, uh, the ability to leave results up to God on the other side of faithfulness. And so if I can be faithful to take a biblical position on, uh, an issue that happens to be the unpopular side of that issue and run the risk of losing people as a result of that. Um, and yet still hold that intention with desiring to have a growing church. I think that's a, I have personally found that to be a very fulfilling place to be. Um, and when I haven't taken that, that road, what I found is I've always wanted to say more about something, but haven't for fear of upsetting people and I may have had uh, uh, maybe more people coming, um, but uh, on the inside, I think I was less satisfied with the job mm. that I was doing. Um, and so I'm experiencing the tension that you're describing. Um, and I think the only way, the only thing to do is to go through it um, and to, to preach truth, to bring the gospel um, and trust God mm. to build the church. That's good. I mean, I, you know, I've been, I've been a part of, um, I've been a part of two uh, extremes. I've been a part of a church that was mm -hmm. very, very, very charismatic and, um, and didn't win anybody. And I've been a part of a church that was mm -hmm. winning, you know, the devil himself. Um, so, you know, I've, I've seen the two extremes. I've been, you know, my dad's church is, is actually a, an amazing soul winning church that, um, is a, you know, a small town, but, but new people, you know, but very charismatic. I mean, my dad still has, they still have a prophecy mic at my dad's church, you know, like, but it's a, everybody in the church is under 40 and it's a growing church and. Um, so you can, you know, mm -hmm. to David's point, you can have a charismatic church that's growing. I mean, look at Upper Room in Bethel. These are churches that are unapologetically um, mm -hmm. charismatic to the extreme. Mm -hmm. um, and and there's no uh, there's no lack of young people that pilgrimage there to go to school there and learn from there. These are growing churches. Uh, so. Uh, you know, it can be done, but, but, you know, to your point though, Jake, it's like, I've seen, I've seen, you know, both extremes. I, I, I want to be a part of a church that wins souls. And I think that he who wins souls mm -hmm. is wise. And I think, you know, I think exactly. that um, the harvest is, is, is ripe. Laborers are few. Mm -hmm. 
Um, plentiful. And so mm-hmm. there's a there's a world there there are people out there that 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 need Jesus that want Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. I think though for me I I've just stopped. Um, I think that if we're targeting, I'll just be really really frank. It could be Please. that the people that we're trying to reach are don't want Jesus. You know, and by that, I mean, celebrities, <laughs> you know, like uh, rich people, uh, people with influence. Um, and I think that that's a lot of times where we've gone wrong is that pastors go, yeah, that's great. You know, I have people coming to the Lord, um, but, you know, the entire New York Knicks need the gospel. And it's like, yeah, cool. That's cool. But you know, Jesus came for the sick, um, people who identify as being needy. Um, and I think that as we've, I've watched guys chase after influential people and it's corrupted them. And mm-hmm. we have an exchange, one exchange with Jesus, with an influential person, the rich young influencer, right? And Mm -hmm. he's got, you know, 1 billion followers on Instagram and he's loaded (laughs) and he's, he's a moralist and he's a good person. um, But his God is his influence and Jesus identifies it. And then he walks away and Jesus doesn't chase him. Um, And I think that, I think that we have a lot of young, young pastors who are chasing after influencers and chasing after, you know, it's, it's not about, it's, 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 it's about how many people go to your church. And if it's not about how many people go to your church, it's about who goes to your church. <laughs> it's like, mm. dude, mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee that I know what you're preaching on Sunday morning, you know, and that mm. it's, it's become a meme. Um, and those type of churches are, <laughs> I believe they're making people sick because they're catering to spiritualists. They're catering to people who who want a spirituality on their terms. Um, and- Talk about the sickness. So I think we have a, a good grasp on um, uh, the what the problem is. Talk about like what, what do you mean when you when you say that this is manifesting as sickness in our people? Yeah. So 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 when we, in the book, I basically do this canonical study on deaths in Mm -hmm. worship services. And it continues to happen in the New Testament. Acts chapter five, uh, Adonis and Sapphira. And then more importantly, in 1 Corinthians 11, um, one could even argue, and I mean, David would be the one to appeal to on this one, but Revelation two and three. Um, There's people who are Mm -hmm. trying to do church in Revelation two and three, and Jesus is is threatening them with physical violence. Um, is that right, <laughs> David? My Jesus, my Jesus would never do that. Yes. Well, yeah. There's there's no doubt the coming of Jesus uh, when he's coming to some of those churches. Um, he's not talking about his his you know final return. He's talking about. Uh, fairly immediate uh, coming in judgment unless there's 
repentance and it's pretty pretty serious and i i think that thread runs through the new testament it, it's not the biggest thread obviously uh but from ananias and sapphira through the corinthian uh, um, communion disorder where paul makes the blunt statement that many of you are sick and some have died and we we kind of quickly pass over that verse when we're preaching on it uh, and then into Revelation, where he talks about, I will strike some of your children dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is, I think the, the reason for the judgment of God is that he's concerned about the preservation of his church, because his church is plan A. Mm-hmm. There's no plan B for the extension of the kingdom of God on earth. And, um, you know, it's like in, in 1 Corinthians, when, he's, when he talks about people that build with you know, gold, silver, and precious stones. And on the other hand, the people that build with, build with wood, hay, and stubble, um, he says, you know, that those of you that build with wood, hay, and stubble will escape, but as by fire, you know. So in other words, it's it's not going to be, there's going to be a little bit of discipline going on and difficulty and, and so on. But he then swiftly changes tone and addresses another group of people in First Corinthians three, and he t- he says, you know, but you know, for those of you who destroy the temple, uh, you know, I will tear you limb from limb. The literal Greek is phrases, and I think he's talking about not just people who are careless in the way they build, but people who actually try for their own ungodly motivations. They tear churches apart. They uh, bring completely false doctrine in with the result that the church is destroyed. Those people will come under the judgment of God. And I think that is a, a, a theme mm-hmm. in the New Testament, which as and I've heard Nathan preach this message now, amazing message mm-hmm. uh, on I the think he preached justice it last time you were with us, Nate. Sorry? I think he preached it last time he was yep. with us here in L.A., yeah. Yeah, so you've heard it too. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I think that that is something, that it's not something that we're going to go up to the pulpit and talk about every Sunday. But I think that it is a, 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 a one. A, it is a theme mm-hmm. through the Bible from beginning to end. And we kind of, I think, gloss over it because, frankly, we don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, some people may gloss over it. You know, because they're basically liberal, but for the rest of us, it's very difficult to deal with that as, well, think, as pastors. Well, I think one of the tensions people probably feel is like there's a there's an inherent danger here of, I guess, crossing over into, um, you know, who sinned this guy or his parents that he was born blind. It's it's uh, I think there's a I don't know there's some kind of tension there where it's like okay, uh, people are in the the situation they're in because they just are and then somehow God is going to work this together for their good or uh, because they're more in this category that we're describing here. I mean, what do you, certainly that thought has crossed your mind, Nate, and, and I'm assuming to you too, David, what do you guys think about that? Um, I don't, I don't necessarily understand the question. So you're talking about the man born blind and, and well, what, 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 what was the thought? Well, I'm just saying, so like if people are, are getting sick and even yeah. dying, um, then it may be because of uh, a 
um, of because of behavior that we're describing here in terms of their false doctrine and how they're conducting themselves at a worship mm-hmm. service, you know, to put it in terms of your book, um, or may not be, I guess, like, is it always going to be super obvious and evident, um, as to why people find themselves in okay. difficult yeah, yeah. circumstances? So, 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 so for me, I'd just go like, I, I, I think that that's peripheral to the conversation. You know what I mean? So, so, so okay. to me, the conversation is more about recovering a Hebrews 13 worship order. Um, he, so you asked like, okay, so what's the way forward, right? Um, the way forward is, you know, uh, worship, give God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then they're the kicker for our God is a consuming fire. <laughs> so, so, so that's right. Like it's literally the, the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to a, the Jewish community that are asking, how do we worship God now? Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks. You took away our temple. We don't have any priests. We don't have any sacrifices. Right. How do we worship? Right. And so Hebrews 12 and 13 mm-hmm. address that issue. And so it, it, and, and it perfectly, what is the way forward? The way forward is give God what he wants. Give him acceptable worship, mm-hmm. things that he's asked for. Don't, don't assume, presume, and, and speculate upon the grace of God, upon who he is and what he wants. Find out what he wants. You know what he wants. Find out what he wants. Know what he wants. You can find out in, in Revelation. He's revealed himself. Scripture is self-revelation. Then give him what he's asked for and, and do it in, mm-hmm. with reverence and awe as in, whoa, I get to be, you know, this is all through Jesus. I can't believe, you know, the mercy of God on my life. I can't believe I get to do this. I'm, I'm doing this in reverence of you, God, and in awe of you because you're a consuming fire. And that's not, you, you know, the language there is meant to elicit a little bit of fear, like a healthy fear. Um, so that's the way forward. Now, with respect to people getting sick, people get sick. That's what happens. And they don't just get sick because mm-hmm. they've been doing naughty things. And, you know, once again, these are um, Ananias and Sapphira dying at a worship service. Uh, you know, the, the Corinthian debacle. Uh, these are these are extremes. OK, um, I do think that they're happening. But I think that what what precedes. Uh, physical illness um, or, you know, as an extreme byproduct of people trying to, uh, you know, destroy the church, First Corinthians 3, as, as, as uh, David um, meant, which First Corinthians 3 has to be, that is, that is the bookend of First Corinthians 11. Um, it's, it's spiritual sickness. You know, so that's what I, what I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I really believe is it's spiritual sickness. It's, and let and let me just be totally clear. Deconstruction is a spiritual illness. And it's and to me, it's a stopover. Deconstruction is a stopover on the way to anathema. Into that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And anathema is ultimately that's the that's the second death, you know. So um <laughs> so uh that's what I mean. There's a, there's this this proverb, I can't remember the address, and it says that. Um, um, a man who, you know, uh, he who, he who, you know, is in the hands of an adulteress, you know, the Lord is displeased with or something like that, where it's like when a a man displeases God, you know, you know, basically God will give you over to a, to an awful sin, you Mm -hmm. know, like that. Um, 
And my thought is this, is it's like, if you come to God and, and, and you're coming, you're approaching him and it's literally all about you and you have no God consciousness because that's what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is God consciousness. It's an awareness of who he is. And that only comes from special revelation, right? So who is he? Mm-hmm. He's holy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's love, but he's holy. Uh, he's a holy God. He knows everything. Mm-hmm. He knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. He knows my, my intents. He knows every action. He knows everything I've ever done. And he judges me. He's my judge and he is judging me. You know, he's, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. And that is God consciousness. That's the fear of the Lord. And if you have that sort of God consciousness, that's going to inform your worship. And my concern is that we've not accurately represented God, the God of the Bible, to people in the pew. And so they're sitting there and they're going, he's, mm-hmm. he's obsessed with me. There's sloppy wet kisses. Everything that I, you know, I can do anything and I can believe anything because God's just obsessed with me. And the love of God is sentimentality. It's what we've reduced it to. Um, and that is going to make right. you spiritually ill. That's, that's going to take you to deconstruction really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So it's reasonable because of Ananias and Sapphira and... Um, well, yeah, because of Ananias and Sapphira to go, okay, uh, this could lead to literal sickness and death. Um, and we would be certainly within, you know, uh, uh, the proper bounds of, of reading that text in First Corinthians that way and Revelation 2 and 3 that way. But also it can manifest itself in spiritual sickness um, in our churches, yeah. i.e. deconstruction. Um, okay, very good. Um, and so the antidote going back to like the way forward essentially is to be biblical. Uh, and I think this kind of comes back to the crisis of authority that you describe in the book, because our, the reason we deconstruct is, uh, we have, we, we have a crisis of authority and we have people who have a lot of trouble approaching the scriptures as the authoritative word of God. Um, and so, you know, they become their own authority, their own thoughts and feelings become their own authority. Um, and that's, that's producing a huge issue. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Um, because you, you talk about it in the book, you've lived in, uh, Oregon, you've lived in California, you lived in New York city. You've seen this crisis of authority in lots of different places, uh, probably across a broad scope of generations. Um, and it seems to be, a yeah. Theme. So what I mean by the crisis of authority is essentially, well, um, it, it's, it's a big, there's a, a, a massive crisis of authority and it's sort of. It's, it has a trickle down effect. Um, so locally, it could be that you know uh, I am my authority. Uh, essentially, all of my, <laughs> all of my uh, my um, all of my immediate desires are God desires. <laughs> you know, the way I read scripture is authoritative. Ultimately, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Autonomy, autonomous, you know, self-law. Um, and that's, it, that is kind of on a local scale. Um, so when I'm sitting in, in, when I'm sitting in, and this, this is who we're preaching to. We're preaching to people who are self-law. So when I appeal to scripture, like the, it used to be that when you appeal to scripture and you're preaching in the 80s and 90s, people, whoa, that's, yeah, that's legit. 
when you preach and you appeal to scripture mm-hmm. now, you're, it's like, you're trying to convince them. Okay. Yeah. I can see that in scripture, but mm-hmm. I just, I just disagree with the Bible or that's your take. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, so we're preaching to a completely different generation. Um, but, uh, but on a, on a, you know, on a, on a meta scale, the crisis of authority is essentially, you know, um, kind of what the, how the postmodernists viewed authority. Well, none of the meta narratives are true, you know, um, right. Kings. Yeah, exactly. Kings have, just, have taken advantage of us. Church, the, the bishops and the, the vicars, they've taken advantage of us. And so nobody can be trusted. And the only mm-hmm. person that you can trust is yourself and your thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, which which is their meta narrative is their meta narrative <laughs> is actually rise even though everybody else is isn't yeah exactly that's the that's that's the contradiction right. the yeah. self contradiction the, the absurdity of modernism. modernism is you just always ask their questions back to them mm-hmm. I think in that respect um, we find ourselves in a difficult place because what you're describing there in that crisis of authority and our love of autonomy is basically the it's the logical conclusion of um of liberal thought um in thinking of societies as made up of atomistic beings um who you know if they're going to be in a relationship with somebody it must be because they consent to that to that relationship and you know, nothing can be imposed upon us from society or from institutions. Otherwise, it's considered oppressive. And uh, Carl Truman talks about this in The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, that we're all kind of participating in that. Like, we all enjoy that kind of autonomy to a certain degree, even we as Christians. So we contribute to it um, in in some ways, while we're also aware of the sickness that it's causing to run rampant in our churches and in our society at large. I, I remember Nathan, you talking a little bit about this on uh, a post that you did on Instagram, probably uh, several months ago at this point, but the, what basically the Bible's take on uh, individuality and also community and how those two work together. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's part of the solution for what we're describing. Yes. Um, yes. I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot with that, but I remember being uh, individuality and yeah, yeah. So there's this tension, right, between individuality and community. Um, now, I, I, I don't. <laughs> um, I, I guess I I do believe in the individual. I, I think that. Uh, I don't necessarily think that the individual is a bad idea. Um, you know, I, I don't mean it in a Lockean term. You know, I do believe in just in, the, in that Chestertonian idea mm-hmm. that the family is the basic building block of society. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, but there has but there it, there are authorities um, if that makes sense. So I wouldn't necessarily pit the individual against community, um, like maybe mm-hmm. like maybe Chesterton would. Because I think that Chesterton was assuming a lot of things, you know, like he was assuming that people like believed in a moral law or like one of Chesterton's large assumptions was that you can trust, trust the normal guy, the everyday guy, the blue collar guy. 
he's like, you know, most people know how the world works and most people are better philosophers than the great philosophers. And in, and in some ways I do, I do agree with him. Okay. Um, I, I liked his idea about, um, the everyday man and, and, and the divine right of Kings where he believed that like, you know, you should never trust somebody who, who is greedy and they're a power grabber. He's like, that's the problem with like the, with, with democracy and presidents and stuff like that. It's like, who are these, how, how, like how, how much of a loony bin power grabber do you need to be to run for a president? You know, like, but like the cool thing about a King <laughs> is he didn't pick it. He was born into it. He was like naturally selected. Um, you know, of course, after his great, great, great grandfather, who was the, the you know, the, the greedy grabber. Um, but um, long story short, I digress. Uh, hmm. I think like there's, there's, there's this, there's this, this incredible balance in the new Testament and in the old Testament between individuals and their unique callings and the communities that they serve and they're a part of. Um, mm -hmm. And where autonomy and self-law and maybe a more concept of individuality comes in and starts to mess with everything is when people see themselves as only needing community when it serves them and serves their purposes. Right. So, so the way that we see community is, um, um, I am the, the, you know, the captain of my faith, master of my own destiny. And, mm -hmm. and I am only part of communities when those communities serve my illusions. Right. Right. I guess kind of one way to think about it would be, uh, individuality works so long as you maintain a belief in transcendence. As soon as you throw off transcendence, then individuality becomes autonomy. It becomes self-law. Um, and so maybe we shouldn't conflate individuality with autonomy because as Christians, we are individuals, but we are not operating uh, autonomously. We, we are part of a community who looks to a transcendent God who is the supplier of our ethics, the supplier of our morals, the supplier of the way that we live. And so therefore the community is founded upon not how it serves me, but it's founded upon how we're serving the transcendent, totally. how we're yeah, serving that, that, God. That, I, I totally agree. So I don't, I, I have a couple ideas. Like for, for example, I didn't pick my family, you know, like, but I'm a Finocchio, you know, come hell or high water, you know, and if Gabe's turning, turning right. up the dinner, I gotta go, you know, like, um, so <laughs> it is what it is. There's there's certain things that have been set in motion that cannot be undone, and I I can either you know uh, wave my fists at at the sky and 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 blame John and Jan all I want for having a second son, but the bottom line is is that I'm part of a family, and and it it and it's and 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 think of this in in, in individuality. People reject their families now, you know, like, so that's how crazy mm -hmm. things have, ha have gotten where, where people mm -hmm. are, are so, um, they're so autonomous. Um, they so reject mm -hmm. these, uh, the normalcy of, of community and Chesterton used to write, uh, he wrote uh, on the family and he talked about how, you know, everybody wants to travel the world, but, but but like, because, you know, because if you travel, then it's going to make you a more rounded person and a more like, you know, um, <laughs> a more, you know, every time I travel, it just makes me more like, 
in touch with myself and I discover myself. And he's like, dude, just talk to your family. He's like, you know, like if you want to be a more rounded person, talk to your uncle who's, who's, who's insane, like the world and is angry, like the world. If you want to be, you know, if you want to be a more rounded person, talk to the person, uh, you know, get to know your brother, you know, like, because like the world's not going to tick you off, but your brother will. And that's where, you know, your character will be really Mm -hmm. built. But, but people reject close relationships because these close relationships violate their, 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 autonomy they violate their um and and destroy their their um their illusions their illusions of grandeur you know the um the uh these fabrications these self-fabrications um and there's nothing like family to 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 shake your ant colony um and um Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that's what community is supposed to do. Like the church is supposed to be somewhere that ticks you off. You know, like I, mm-hmm. it, let me swing, hear me out here and I'm going to swing the pendulum the whole other way. But like maybe mm-hmm. church hurt is just, it's just people stepping on your illusions, you know, uh, and, and people mm-hmm. telling you the truth. Maybe that's what a lot of people mean by church hurt. You know, like I was spirit, I was spiritually abused. No, just somebody told you that you can't have sex with everybody in the church. That's what happened. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, I was, I <laughs> suffered spiritual abuse for so many years. No, you're, you're, you know, you're the office manager was maybe like short and they didn't say thank you. And they didn't say please. And they didn't sign off, you know, in Christ on all their emails. Um, and they held your feet to the fire and they, they, and maybe they screamed at you when you were late, you know, like, but that's like normal, that's family stuff. That's normal stuff. Of course, there's real abuse. Of course, there's, mm-hmm. there's, 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 you know, horrible things that happen in churches, et cetera. Um, but I tend to think that, that because people don't even understand the basic concepts of family, you know, and they don't have real relationships where people like, <laughs> call them out on their stuff. You know, people ask me all the time, they're like, Nathan, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's so many things happening in the world right now. And there's so many, you know, moral failings. And there's these pastors, you know, running, absconding with the church funds. And, um, you know, what, um, what accountability do you have? And firstly, I'm just like, well, okay. Um, Firstly, you're only as accountable as you want to be. <laughs> I can tell you that I have 10 pastors, you know, but you're only as accountable as you want to be. Number one. Number two, I run a family business. Do you have any idea what, what an incredible hell a family business is? <laughs> and, and like, David, I'll just, I'll just say this. David can say whatever he wants. And he does. That's how bad our business is. <laughs> our business model is it's friends and family. You know, it's like it's people that we've known for 25, 30 years. You know, like that is accountability. Like family is accountability. Family is, you know, mm-hmm. that's community mm-hmm. is accountability. So when, when I see it, you know, mm-hmm. when, when people ask about accountability, I'm like, that guy, that guy was never in a there was nobody in his life that could text him or call him and say, you suck. 
You know, like that's what accountability is. Accountability right. isn't right. a structure where you check in every month. Accountability is somebody that you, you, it's real relationships that you talk to every day and people know the state of your soul. They know your direction. They know your tone. They know everything. And they're, and you are approachable. You know, like when they, when they text you, mm-hmm. you answer, when they call, you pick their, their phone call. That is real accountability. Um, so to me, Right. And when they criticize you and critique you, they're not attacking your, they're not attacking you or undermining your identity. And and, and so for me, you know, and, and, and I don't know how we, I've, I've taken this because I love to go on tangents, but, but we're talking about individuality versus community. That's what's happened is we hate Mm -hmm. having our will crossed. And so Mm -hmm. the scriptures better not cross my will. The pastor better not cross my will. My family better not cross my will. This Christian community better not cross my will. Um, and I'm going to have, a, and the only relationships that I'm going to have are a bunch of people that agree with me on TikTok, on, you know, mm-hmm. XYZ. Um, but even those relationships are fake because eventually somebody crosses your will and then you cut them out of your life. And that's what's, that's what's happened. We have churches without community. We have, we have people without family and they don't know relationship. Mm-hmm. I think you touched on something really important because all of God's purposes have been uh, based on the concept of covenant. Mm -hmm. And covenant creates community. Community doesn't create itself. Uh, People don't create it. God created it. And he created it by his covenant word. And that's how he's operated since Adam. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the expression of his the ultimate expression of his covenant family on earth is the body of Christ. But the idea is that God is the father, that he sets the rules. I'm not talking about legalism, but, you know, God sets the boundaries mm-hmm. and the way that we behave toward one another. And uh, if you violate them, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. It isn't that somebody else is going to come along necessarily and whack you for it? Uh, they might, but I mean, basically you shoot yourself in the foot by robbing yourself of God's blessing. And the church should be the most relational place on earth. It should be the the best family on earth. It should be the place that, particularly in a broken society like ours, where we've suffered, you know, a couple centuries of individualism. And then we've got postmodernism, which is fragmenting everything, you know, on top of that, not to mention Marxism, where everybody is separated off into either, you know, um, groups that feel they're oppressed or individuals that feel they're oppressed or they're just uh, living in the general individualism of our civil Western civilization. You, you, and then, of course, the family breaks down because everybody's in it for themselves. Father runs off and leaves his wife and kids and all the rest of it. All this stuff happens. And we live in them as a result. Collectively, we've shot ourselves in the foot by moving away from God's plan. Mm -hmm. And now, here's the church. We've got a golden opportunity to model what family is supposed to be. And uh, I think of friends of ours in Athens that are working with refugees and bringing in people from various nationalities, ethnicities, almost all Muslims that are coming to Christ. Um, and, And they're taking them people taking each other into their homes they're looking after each other it's family it's new testament christianity 
and so people are coming to Christ. And man, I think we we need to we need to get back to we need to get back to that. When I was a young pastor, I lived in uh, Saskatchewan one summer, and um, they weren't all that far removed from pioneer days. I mean, they were still very elderly people who had, you know, opened up the first homestead or whatever. And that sense of pioneering, when they went out there, everybody helped everybody else. Uh, and that was still there in the community as a value. Well, as I understand it, the Bible word, or at least the New Testament word for community is fellowship. And fellowship is, uh, is what we're actually meaning when we're saying something like community. And uh, fellowship can can be translated as partnership. Um, there's, there's contribution that comes along with it. And our, it's, a, it's, it's a thing that grows out of our commonality in Christ. And I think you touched on something important there, David, where uh, because we actually crave commonality, even in our hyper autonomous state, we look for commonality in things and we end up finding it in superficial things, you know, whether it's a, a common interest in X, Y, Z or, uh, it's, it's a commonality and, um, in that we both feel oppressed because of a certain, uh, quality or trait about ourselves. And what I see is people are trying to bring those commonalities into the church and to make the church relate upon those same kinds of terms, which is a recipe for absolute disaster. Um, and I think we have to recover the fact that our commonality is in Christ and that we have fellowship in the divine being and therefore fellowship with one another. And that, that commonality has to trump all of our other uh, uh, commonalities in the world. And I think when we, when we hold that up as the most important thing, that's when the church can start to become distinct and to demonstrate the kind of family that you're describing. Right. But that's where the reformed theologians had it right in terms of basing everything on covenant mm -hmm. and covenant is something you, you hear rarely alluded to, uh, or understood in church, Western churches today. Yeah, I think true. we could do worse than trying to go back and explore the meaning of covenant biblically and see how that applies. How does it mean to walk in covenant with one another? How does that work out in a local church? What does it mean to break covenant? Do churches fall apart because they've broken covenant either with God or with each other or both? This is more likely the case Very good. Well, we're coming up on an hour. Um, I have other questions that I could ask, but Nathan, we'll have to have you on. Guys, I can't recommend enough that you get this book, Killer Church. Um, Nathan has just a, a particular brand of genius uh, that I love to listen to, but also love to read. Um, I think it'll pull you right in. You'll read it in a few days. It's very helpful. And uh, maybe you want to grab it for your pastor and offer it up to them. I think they'd find it insightful as well. I certainly have learned a lot. Um, uh, over the last few days as I've been reading it. So grab it. I believe it's available uh, yeah. wherever books Amazon are sold. Is that right, Nate? And books, uh, Barnes and Noble um, online there. So Awesome. Okay. I grabbed it on iBooks as okay. well. So it's also there. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, David. 